And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was our finest. Hey guys, welcome back to Petri Dish. This is episode 7, Climate, It is Still a Changin'. Yeah, I'm Sean Allen. I'm Nathan Blair Allen. And we're here, we're going to be doing this part 2 of the climate change stuff. You know, so what did we do in part 1, Nathan? We talked about how humans, they are in fact definitely doing some climate change stuff. We talked about how we know that, and we talked about the methods humans are using to create all this climate change stuff. Right, so all of these greenhouse gas emissions. And now here in part two, we're going to start out by talking about precisely how we are going to get fucked by climate change. And then we're going to move Mm. into some of these, hopefully, solutions. Things that we can do. (laughs) Things that we can do to try to get us through this deep, dark tunnel of depression that I've been in since I've started researching all this climate change Dude, I'm excited. It's octagon, baby. Okay, we're going to have to fight for our food, baby. It's just you love all of these doomsday scenarios. Like You're like rock hard over here talking about the end of the world. Okay, guys. Okay, okay, okay. So... We're going to break down hypothetical scenarios. I guess they're not that hypothetical. We're going to break down climate change scenarios into different temperature gradients. As in, what happens to the world if we reach this temperature? Sean Baby, what's the first temperature? And what is it going to do to us? So, the first temperature is 1.5 degrees Celsius. (laughs) 1.5! And in a lot of the climate change models, what they're talking about is the temperature in 2100, the year 2100, right? So 80 years down the road. I'll be dead. Who cares? (laughs) You're going to be alive. You're (laughs) going to be hanging out. You're going to connect me to like a tube or something? (laughs) 108 years old, real angry. I don't think I'm making it to 2023. <laughs> okay, whatever. So 2100 is 1.5 degrees hotter. Right. And so to, to get to 1.5 degrees Celsius to only be at that temperature, we basically need to do the Paris Agreement levels. What's the Paris Agreement? So the Paris Agreement is kind of a follow-up to what have been at this point several climate agreements through the years. And the Paris Agreement's the latest one. And right now, I think... Every country in the world besides the U.S. is signed on to the Paris Agreement. I was about to say, it's the latest one that we've ditched, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, America doesn't like them that much. Yeah, so we've hopped off of this one, and it's basically talking about the need to decrease greenhouse gas emissions by certain time points, with the goal of basically making it so that at 2100, we either just barely overshoot or we stick to... 1.5 degrees Celsius. And when I say 1.5 degrees Celsius, I'm talking about how much hotter we are than pre-industrial times. Right, and the entire globe in aggregate. Right. So average 1.5 degrees Celsius. And so look, right now, as of right now compared to pre-industrial times, we're at almost 1 degree Celsius. Mm. So 
what we're talking about is changing things up so drastically that we only gain another half percent by the end of the century. Right? Okay, well, what happens, though? I mean, right. I like it 1.5 degrees Celsius hotter. <laughs> so why is it so bad? Yeah, so 1.5 degrees Celsius is still pretty shitty. So this is the most ambitious scenario that we could probably pull off, and it's still awful, okay? We're going to lose a bunch of coral in the ocean. Okay. Okay, so the coral reefs, a lot of those are going to be gone. They're basically going to dissolve away as the ocean acidifies too much. And we're going to see a lot of plants and animals either continue to go extinct, which we've we've lost a lot of species in the past decade. But by the end of the century, we're going to have lost a lot more of them. And then many more animal species are going to be endangered. But we don't really need them now that we have John Favreau's technology, right? What Beyonce. technology? Beyonce. <laughs> you know, Lion King. <laughs> we don't need animals anymore. We can just make them. Sure. Lion King and cats? And cats. Yep. That's You're right. We solved that one. We are accepting sponsorships. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, at 1.5 degrees Celsius, places that are dry right now are going to get drier. Mm. Okay, so it's not like, oh, as it heats up, everywhere is going to get kind of tropical and rainy and stuff like that. No. Places that see droughts, you're going to see longer droughts. Places that uh, have a tendency to get dry, you're going to dry out and probably see more fires. And then, on the other hand... On the other hand, wet areas are going to see more rain, and so a lot more places are going to be flooding more consistently and larger floods for longer periods of time. But Greenland be pretty nice then, right? I think Greenland's going to be on fire. Oh, really? Yeah, so uh, it actually, some of the places where you're going to see the biggest changes in temperature are actually up in the Arctic. Oh. And so that includes a lot of areas in Canada, a lot of the tundra in Russia, Siberia, and some parts of Greenland, and a lot of those places, the permafrost is going to thaw. That's going to release a lot of CO2, and a lot of what's essentially peat is probably going to catch on fire and burn. So probably for the best that Donald didn't buy Greenland then. <laughs> That's not as good as we thought it was going to be. Well, Greenland, the land, I don't think is what he ever wanted. He wanted the ocean waters around it. Oh, right? really? Yeah, for shipping through the Arctic. Man, he's thinking, man, three-dimensional chess, this uh, guy. Three-dimensional? Try like 21-dimensional chess. Oh, man, just like a quantum being. <laughs> anyway, so so dryers are going to get drier. Wet airs are going to get wetter. I'm seeing some shit about hurricanes, like Hurricane Dorian. Right. Dorian, who's a Category 5 now, very angry. Yeah. Not a nice hurricane. Not a nice hurricane. And what it seems like is a lot of these extreme weather conditions, like heat waves and hurricanes, are things that are exasperated by climate. Sure. Or, uh, so, uh, not exasperated. Exacerbated. Exacerbated, thank you. Oh, Exacerbated. So <laughs> Exacerbated by climate change. And so at 1.5 degrees Celsius, you can bet hurricanes are going to be larger. It's not the connection as to whether or not there's going to be more hurricanes is not as clear. Yeah. But they'll have an easier time growing right. in size and speed. They benefit from like warmer waters in general, right? Right. If you don't see more hurricanes, you'll definitely see more consistently strong hurricanes, category fives. Why would there be more heat waves? Like there's obviously, you know, it's hotter, but like why a heat wave specifically? Why would it be so concentrated at certain moments? Is that like wind patterns or something? So it's more that there's kind of just this elevated energy in the system for sustained high temperatures. Oh, okay. And so already what we think of as heat waves are kind of these consistently elevated temperature points. Right. And just by 2100, we're going to be seeing a lot of the summer just be uncomfortably hot in a lot of these areas where it's already not that great. Right. Yeah. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. Okay. I see here sea levels. They're going to get higher. 
Yeah, they're going to get higher. And at 1.5 degrees Celsius, eventually, way down the road, even past 2100, they'll probably max out at one meter higher than they are right now. Hey, Epiphany, what the fuck is 1.5 Celsius in Fahrenheit? Yeah, uh, it's a little under four degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, and how much? How about a meter? How much is a meter in feet? Yeah, it's a little bit more than three feet. Okay, so we're going to see waters in general, in aggregate, rise by like three feet. Right, and in some places it's going to be more than three feet. Sure. In other places they're not really going to see any change. Right. So that, it's going to be kind of spread out all over the place. So like New Orleans, Miami... I don't know about those places. Sure. And like Already kind of don't. The, the Bahamas. Right. Whoopsie. You know? Yeah. Not so lucky. Yeah. So sea levels are going to keep on rising, but, but with 1.5 degrees Celsius, they're probably going to max out. Okay. At one meter elevation. So we can have new New Orleans a little bit upriver. Right. Right. Or just build some real sexy dikes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. Well, you know, besides that, another issue that we're going to see is yields on crops. Mm. Okay. And so there are certain main cereal crops like wheat and corn that we're probably going to see the yields drop a few percentage points on. That's all right. Don't like wheat. (laughs) Well, if you like soybeans and rice, then in this kind of climate scenario, those might actually see a slight increase in yield. I don't really like those either. But not enough to make up for the drop in yield for wheat and corn. Really more of a sorghum man. Oh, wow. How do they do? (laughs) (laughs) Sorghum. Holy shit. I don't, that's not in my notes. Like, checkmate scientist. Checkmate. <laughs> I finally got Mr. Scientist. But okay, so what I'm hearing then is at 1.5 degrees Celsius, uh, we're going to lose some places to just like water increasing. Like it, what I've always heard is Bangladesh. We're just not going to have Bangladesh at 1.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, some crops are going to get real fucked up. Some crops will do all right, but we're going to have to figure out agriculture again for this hotter climate. Right now, Europe has this huge heat wave. That's not going to stop happening. Right. People in France are going to be dropping like flies. <laughs> right? And places like Greenland may be a little bit on fire. Yeah, and actually, you can see that right now. There is uh, some news from not that long ago that there is big chunks of Siberia that are on fire. Right, right, yeah. Before the like Maybe a month before all the Amazon stuff broke, Siberia was on fire too. It's just not as... Sexy, so I guess no one paid attention to it. And that is because of consistently elevated temperatures that have basically melted enough of the area and dried out enough of the area that you could have these kinds of large-scale fires. Very cool. But not actually the worst-case scenario at all. In fact, that's the best-case scenario. Right. 1.5, what I just described was the best-case scenario. Uh, I mean, this isn't even the most realistic, but a a definitely more realistic scenario is 2 degrees Celsius. Sexy. That we hit 2100... And we get to 2 degrees Celsius. Tell me about it, stud. Yeah, so 2 degrees Celsius would be something like we don't quite hit the Paris Agreement levels. That we're not a part of. <laughs> that we're not a part of and that we're not actively working toward right now. Or the science was oddly optimistic about the effects of some of these things. You know, the problem is that it happened in Paris. If it was like the Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles Agreement, yep. America might still be part of it. Yep, I or, buy it. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway... So we miss it, but we don't miss the Paris Agreement by too much. We hit right, two degrees. Right. So at two degrees, what you're going to see is some river systems are going to drastically change in either decreased water flow or significantly increased water flow. 
So, for example, water runoff in Europe, like, for example, on the Danube, should be dropping 20 to 40%. It's a poor man's Elbe. <laughs> weird, man. I don't, I don't care about know. the Danube. I do not know how many of our... Elbe River is what I'm all about. <laughs> okay. Whereas uh, rivers like the Nile and the Ganges are going to see significantly expanded flooding by 20%. I like that, dude. More cotton. Okay, those are good production places. Well, so... <laughs> Part of the issue here is that with enough changes in these kinds of floodings, you can see sort of more backwash from the ocean and the creation of more brackish water. Cool. What is brackish water again? Brackish water is basically water that is no longer fresh water. It's not drinkable water because it has too high of a salinity content. So it has too much salt in it, basically. It's not really as salty as ocean water, but it's sort of like where ocean water and fresh water mix. I thought like brackish areas, estuaries were very fertile places with like a lot of cool animals that like code switched, you know? Yeah, the animals are cool, but the water's undrinkable. Oh, for us. Yeah. Well, for people around the Nile and the Ganges, I don't live by there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that the point is that two degrees Celsius, you're going to start to see a lot of water instability in right. a lot of places in the world. This is broadly true all over the place. The Mississippi, the examples of the Niles and the Ganges, but it could really be anywhere. Yeah, and in a lot of these places, the water instability is just going to be because the water levels drop, like in the Danube. Yeah. And in other places, the flooding, which sounds like it would increase the amount of water, might not, because if it expands in a certain kind of way, you'll see this backwash and this disruption of that water supply creating more of it to be brackish, basically. Right. And as you have all this instability that I'm sure leads to all sorts of displacement, we also have a general decrease in crop yields. Right. At 2 degrees, in contrast to 1.5, now all of those main staple crops for food are going to see decreased yields. And so that means that uh, people are going to have less water to drink and people are going to have less food to eat. Mm. And in some places like the U.S., that means we're all going to get a lot more fit. <laughs> a lot sexier, but in a lot of places in the world, it less means, good news. <laughs> yeah, people people are going to be hungry and mal and undernourished and probably pissed. You know what I mean? Or dead. Sure, I think yeah. a lot of them are going to be dead, but I think we can expect a lot of instability, right, in those regions. Okay, I see this one here. This note: fisheries will drastically reorganize and fish will change their geographical ranges, which is very optimistic to imply that fish are still alive. I like that. Right, so I think this was an interesting chunk of the IPCC report that I read, which is that, you know, fish are pretty mobile. Yeah. In that, you know, these oceans, they're all connected together. Right, right, right. So I've heard. And some waters are going to get warmer, but not like boiling hot. So the fish can basically swim to higher latitudes. So they could go closer to Antarctica. They can go higher up into the Arctic and everything to try to find water that isn't too hot for them. But that does mean that a lot of our experience with what fish are where and how to consistently catch them sure. is probably going to get disrupted. That won't ass blast fish necessarily, but it ass blasts our relationship to fish. Yeah, and then this is still worded a little optimistically. Some fish species will be displaced and die. Right. There are some fish that have evolved to be able to handle cold temperatures at the expense of some of their other fitness. And then once those cold temperatures aren't around anymore, other fish are going to swoop in, eat their food, they're going to die. So, you know, some fish species will will get knocked out. And they're going extinct at the same time as all sorts of adorable plants and animals like koalas and redwoods. 
Yeah, yeah. So probably fish are impacted less than terrestrial stuff. Right. And so, you know, one of the situations is when the temperature is changing on land, a lot of these animals and plants can't really migrate as fast as the temperature is changing. So they're really not going to have very many places to go. They're just going to be hanging out in habitats that get smaller and smaller and worse and worse for them. A good number are going to disappear forever. Talking about one of those habitats, the Amazon will either have a lot more fires or just be dead. And I'm assuming that's similar to Siberia then, right? It's going to have more of those fires. Who knows what the fuck comes after that? Yeah, so there's an interesting tipping point, and it's not clear if two degrees is it exactly. There's not The science isn't done on this. But there's a tipping point where the Amazon goes from being this kind of wet, lush, tropical rainforest to a kind of dry forest. And at that point, it's just a tinderbox, and the whole thing will just burn. Uh, now, it might be gone by then anyway. Like, we'll see how this year goes. Uh, there, There's basically, I read a study that said that the Amazon can be self-sustaining so long as 75% of it is around. 70 to 75%. And then once it loses that 25 to 30%, it basically can't sustain itself anymore, and it'll start dying off on its own, kind of regardless of what we do. So we'll see. We'll see what Which happens. Is, uh, what I've read is that it's not the first time that's happened, is that there's been woods in places like England that have experienced die-offs, but then the die-offs end up snowballing, where it just uh, where a forest can't maintain itself anymore. And so it, it's not just the Amazon. This has happened historically. Yeah, and I think the reason why any of this matters, like a lot of people talk about oxygen production out of the Amazon. I think that's cool. Like realistically, the Amazon uses up a lot of oxygen that it produces in the first place, but it does store a lot of carbon. Right. And when we burn it, it's not even just that the Amazon can't store it anymore. Is that all of that carbon goes up into the atmosphere. Right. And we didn't even use it for anything. Right. Sure, <laughs> so, right. so we literally got nothing out of it, and now it's just going to exacerbate the greenhouse gas problem even more. Now, we're also going to get a lot of more diseases, huh? How does that work? I'm seeing here we're going to get more malaria and degoogie. <laughs> Dengue, yeah. Degoogie, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, so basically there are some diseases that really thrive in high humidity environments. Mm. A lot of times they can also expand based off of their vectors. So certain kinds of mosquitoes or like, I don't know, the tsetse fly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, these ranges are kind of defined by that ecosystem area. Yeah. And as the climate changes, places get more hot, we could see an expansion of what we would call the tropical zone. I like it. More Ebola. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, the bats will probably be dead. Yeah, yeah. Maybe okay, they well, will be. Good. We'll see. No Ebola. <laughs> we'll We're see. freed from Ebola. <laughs> we might yeah. see some more plague yeah. come back. That could be fun. And here's one of the things that I kind of want to touch on, but I'd like to get deeper in later, is as climate change affects a lot of poorer regions in the world, all the health increases that they have right now are going to start to go downhill again. Right? So we expand on this for me, but like Sub-Saharan Africa, India, whatever, the third world those places are going to get a lot, lot worse. Yeah, so even though these places are definitely still developing, there have been economic advances. People have been getting more money, and those people have been healthier. They've been living longer lives. Their children have been growing taller, have been better nourished. And we're going to see an erasure of pretty much all of that progress by 2100 due to climate change and the diseases, malnutrition, and lack of water 
uh, that's basically going to get rid of all of that economic progress. Right. Now, guys, let's take a break. But after the break, we're going to talk about the worst case scenario. What happens if we hit four degrees Celsius? What happens to the world? What happens to us in the world? It's going to be pretty awesome. We'll get to it pretty soon. Sean here. You may know Stacy as our resident sound lord. What you don't know is she's a violent psychopath. You think I'm funny, punk? No, please, please, I'm married. No! You just heard a man die because of Stacy. And she disposed the body in the local marsh, so the cops will never know. Only you. No. I'm the Easter Bunny. If you need someone dead, hire Stacy. Okay, guys, we're back to Petri Dish, and now we're going to talk about my favorite stuff, apocalypse. What happens when we hit four degrees Celsius? What's that in Fahrenheit, John? (laughs) 7.2. Okay, baby. 7.2. Globally, the world is hotter. What's going on? Yeah, four degrees Celsius by 2100 is a real fucking bummer. That said, (laughs) that's the temperature we're probably going to hit if we don't change what we're doing right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so Mm -mm. uh, that's pretty fucked up. (laughs) That doesn't leave a whole lot of margin for error for this. So just keep that in mind while I'm going through what's going to go on here. So 7.2 degrees Fahrenheit higher is the global average, right? So that includes like out in the fucking middle of the Pacific Ocean or whatever. What's really going to happen, what that would mean for our lives, is that during the summertime, we could be talking about heats 12 to 14 degrees hotter, okay? And uh, I lived for a little bit in Chicago, all right? So sometimes in the summer, we could be talking about 100 degrees Fahrenheit and like 100% humidity. And so... 100% humidity with 114 degrees Fahrenheit? I don't think anyone would be outside. We'd we'd all just be inside running the air conditioners the whole time. It would basically shut down life in a lot of these places. People wouldn't be going outside. See, I filmed something in Oklahoma, so I've already seen that, though. I've already seen life shut down in Siesta, so I'm not scared yet, man. Keep going. Make me scared. Well, look, when we get heat waves going... In a lot of these places where we would be growing crops, we could see temperatures that would basically just bake the crops in the field and would make it so that workers couldn't consistently work outside in the field. And hey, look, if they tried to anyway, you'd see a lot of dead workers out there. Sean, I don't even like... I don't even like crops, dude. I eat meat, baby. You gotta keep going. Make me more scared, dude. Well, I mean, I would imagine that you could see a lot of cows dying out in the field, too. You son of a bitch! (laughs) Stay away from my cows. (laughs) What we're gonna see is crop yields that could drop by as much as 25%. Okay. Which, at that point, is significantly destabilizing for populations that don't have a lot of food to begin with. Sure. As Americans, it's like, we probably should eat 25% less stuff. Right. But if you like in fucking East Africa... Whoopsie-daisy. You need 25% more shit. Right. And all of these numbers that I'm talking about are for, like, staple crops. Right. Fucking forget about apples, dude. Cherries? Like, you know, the, uh, yeah, all of these like other anyway. supplement. God, what are you talking about? I like cherries. I saw you licking an avocado the other day. You didn't even take the skin off. I, I actually do eat kiwis with the skin <laughs> on. <laughs> You're an No, I don't even. I don't, that's gross. I just I eat this kiwi with the oh, skin on. Oh, you bite them? Yeah, I just out oh, right oh. through it. I thought you were just, you suck on the hairy part. No, I, <laughs> I enjoy the hairy part in my mouth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I think 
there's a really significant health risk to people dying from just like heat stroke and dehydration. Okay. Not scared yet. What else? What else, bitch? Keep it going. All right. We're going to see sea levels rise by probably up to three meters to like nine feet over your head, well over your head. I'm a short man. (laughs) (laughs) So that means that there's going to be some low-lying coastal regions and islands that are largely going to disappear. Cool. Uh, Okay, so we're going to lose a lot of places on the coast, which, by the way, isn't just like... The water goes up nine feet, places that are not, you know, places that are lower than nine feet sink or disappear. It's also like that, that nine feet increase erodes coastline, right? Right. So places that are higher than nine feet, but have really porous soil are also going to disappear, right? Yeah. And I mean, that sea level rise means that you're going to see salt water kind of invading further and further into communities as well. So you're going to see that taint a lot of water supplies. <laughs> taint? Seriously? That, that, that gets... <laughs> dude, stop it, dude. I... <laughs> Trying to record a podcast. I'm saying taint. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, God damn it, Sean. Okay, so animal species. What happens to all these fucking flora and fauna? Yeah. At four degrees Celsius, there are really not that many terrestrial plant or animal species that can migrate fast enough to get to some climate that matches the temperature that they're used to. Sure. Like so, Italians. Yeah. Italian can't run faster than the weather. That's true, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is true. Yeah, because the Italians would all be running up to Sweden or something like that. Yeah. But they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. Okay, they're it's not like the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> and just like the Swedes aren't going to let them in. That's true. But in any case, um, so a lot of plants and animal species are going to be kind of locked in to their habitats that, I, I mean, realistically at this point, might not exist at all anymore. So we're going to see a lot of terrestrial animal species die off. It's expected that all primates will probably be extinct. Except us, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So let let me say this much. Four degrees Celsius, if if we keep on the track to hit four degrees Celsius by 2100, unlike the 1.5 degrees Celsius scenario, which levels off at 2100, we kept it to 1.5. Four degrees Celsius is just the number we hit at 2100 on our way to blasting off to way hotter temperatures. Right, because at that point, we've burned off the permafrost in Siberia. We've released a lot of extra methane that's in all those soils and all that peat. We've killed off all of the forests that we're carbon ca- capturing. We're assuming in the model a lot of things that would necessarily exponentially make climate change worse. Right. And to get to four degrees Celsius, like I said, that's a scenario where we don't change anything. So this whole time we've been dumping more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And so that means that 2100, sure, we'll be at four degrees. By 2300, we'll be past six degrees Celsius and dead. I mean, I don't actually expect human beings, if we continued on the track, to be existing 300 years in the future from now. Mm. Now, that said... I don't think that that is actually what's going to happen to us. Yeah, you're such a climate change extremist. Oh, my God. (laughs) But, you know, just keeping in mind here, four degrees Celsius, that's just a really brief stop on the way to worse. Right. It's kind of a worst case scenario. Yeah. But so so as part of this worst case scenario, the Amazon's gone. Yeah. We burned the shit out of that. What other places just like aren't habitable anymore? Right, so there's going to be parts of the United States that will be very difficult to keep habitable. And we already have Kansas. (laughs) Right, so I would say especially large areas in the Midwest, 
hey, Southern California, Texas, Arizona. Mm. So these areas in the southwest, are, it's going to be very difficult for people to survive in them just because the temperatures are going to be so consistently elevated. Mm. It's going to be real annoying for us, and luckily we have the money to deal with it. Places that are kind of similar to that in other chunks of the world, like in India, for right. example. Um, Those motherfuckers are already super hot. I went to India once, and it was like being inside a curry pot the whole fucking time, dude. It was hot, <laughs> it was humid, and it smelled like curry the whole time. Right, and you know, a lot of it's not electrified enough right. to have air conditioning. Right. And so, you know, a combination of the elevated heat, decreased availability of water for remaining hydrated, and any kind of climate control within homes or anything like that. And I think a lot of people are going to be dying there. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. And all this stuff that makes so many places unstable, makes so many places uninhabitable, that means people are going to either die or move, right? We already are, you know, we have about 50 million refugees right now. That's around the same point as World War II, or it's the highest point since World War II. That is just the start, right? Right. Like, imagine all of the governmental instabilities that we're seeing in nations that are net influx of refugees. Got all of the debates that are happening about, like, oh, how many refugees can we allow in and everything? On crack cocaine. Yeah. We're, we're already at this level where people right, feel right. like it's too much. Right. We're freaking out now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just look forward to literally, like, the entire country of India needing to figure out where they're going. That's right? a billion people. Yeah. And, uh, and and the entirety of the Middle East, right? Uh, the, there's almost no part of the Middle East that will remain habitable to human beings in the four degrees Celsius scenario. Right. So, you know, whatever the issues with Syria were, it's all the countries there that are going to be displaced. I mean, that's what's interesting to me is that a lot of the climate change conversation, our current politics is merely a prelude to even the, the two degrees Celsius scenario. Because even at two degrees Celsius, you still have people who have been... Climate changed out of their homes. Right. And you know, it, it doesn't always look like climate change. It's not always people who are like, oh, it's too hot. Like, let's move out of here. A lot of times it's going to look like war. Right. A lot of times it's going to look like strife and, you know, gang battles. It's going to be resource wars. Right. And so it'll be kind of dressed up differently than just people being like, oh, man, we don't have any water or food. Like, we got to go somewhere. I mean, fuck, guys. To use a modern example, the war that's happening in Yemen is in many ways a resource war over water. A lot of water was used by, um, by farmers for a narcotic called cat. And that was a problem for like 20 years. They're running out of water now. The reason they're running out of water is A, poor agricultural practice, and B, fucking it's drying up. Right? And that's the kind of combination we're talking about globally is poor practices that exacerbate uh, a heating planet. Yeah, so, you know, four degrees Celsius, big time bummer. We'd be well on our way to irreversibly placing ourselves on the path of extinction. Yeah, like the planet survives. There's like cool fungal things going on in some places and GG humans. Yeah, so the pace of this is really the big thing. When you look back 500 million years on Earth, Earth has been hotter than this before with life on it. Okay, so th that has happened. That's real. And so any, anybody who wants to bring that up as an argument, that's true. The change from where we were 200 years ago to where we are now, from what, where we were 50 years ago to where we are now, is so much faster than almost any other change in temperature in the history of the planet that 
we're probably not going to make it. Almost any plant or animal on the surface of the world is not going to make it. A lot of the life in the ocean is probably not going to make it. The Earth will be fine yeah, as, Earth, like, a rock. Yeah, <laughs> Earth rock makes it. So Mother Gaia and, like, plenty of singular, like, single-cell organisms probably make right, it. Right, there's going to be a good amount of uh, archaea and bacteria, right. some fungi. Like, in 10 million years, there'll be some awesome shit going on on Earth. Right. So life, in a sense, will go on. Life we just on. <laughs> We won't get to be a part of it. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so four degrees Celsius is way too fucked up. Two degrees Celsius is still really messed up and 1.5 degrees celsius is the best we can do but how would we do that okay guys we're gonna take a break and then after that what can we do about climate change (laughs) my name is tyler jerry if you're like me you're a classy boomer who likes the finer things in life but loves a good fuck luckily there's a cruise for dingoes like us sextant cruises We'll sail down the Rhine or the Danube, throw all our room keys in our buckets, and wake up nine days later in Istanbul. We'll be swinging like your wife's tits in my hands, and my wife's in yours. Take local tours of ancient sites. Partake in the finest wines of the region. Enjoy fabulous orgies on the top deck as a Little Eastern European man eggs you on with his strange Slavic reinterpretation of Sweet Caroline. See all the great cultural capitals of Europe, and sex right through them. Fuck Europe like nothing else since the plague. We all know you're sick of your kids. Drop them off at college. You hate your in-laws. Cancel your Thanksgiving plans. Leave it all behind. Come to Europe and fuck. Step aboard Sexton Cruise, sailor. I'll see you there. Okay, guys, welcome back to Petri Dish. We're over with my favorite part, which is Doomsday. But we're going to talk about how we can solve things. Sean, when you're writing the notes, you told me a beautiful slash again for me boring thing, which is that you're actually very hopeful walking into climate change. Why are you hopeful? Yeah, you know, when I started all of the research for this, it you was... were sober, <laughs> and then you were drunk, <laughs> yeah, then and I'm... you noticed the stars were pretty. Busted out the mescal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so first thing that we should kind of knock out there is we need to go to zero net carbon dioxide emissions as soon as possible. Are you telling me to get rid of my cows, sir? Cows are mostly methane, so you can keep them around. Okay, cool. Yeah. Carbon dioxide, okay? And the biggest, biggest bulk of the carbon dioxide that's getting popped out there is through power plants. Power plants and industry. And so we we need to be shifting over to renewable energies. But Sean, the only way I know how to make power is by fracking it. (laughs) Why are you so into fracking, bro? (laughs) Because it's a great word. Whoever, (laughs) Whoever invented fracking knew. That, like, people like me are going to support fracking because I want to hear the word fracking, (laughs) like, on a purely cultural gut level. Yeah, so we should be stopping fracking. Okay. I I think the the main priority, if we're going to break it down into subcategories, would be coal. We got to fucking cut it out with the coal, okay? Why is coal so bad? In comparison to gas and oil in terms of CO2 emissions, coal just puts out way more CO2 emissions. Okay. And also puts out black carbon. Okay. And black carbon also causes 
an increase in temperature by uh, radiative forcing. Okay, so we need to find some jobs for those coal miner guys. We need to help those bros out because we need to shut this coal shit down. Yeah, let's get them building more solar farms and stuff like that. Okay. Let, 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 let's get them building more power plants for renewable energy. And another part of this problem, it's not just us. Like, realistically, most of the coal usage right now is China. Well, this is an interesting subject that we're going to have to get back to, which is, like, global coordination. Right, which is, you know, what the Paris Agreement was supposed to be doing, right. but we just, yeah, fucking just topped right out of that. I mean, that's kind of the funniest irony about this this whole debate is that I, I feel like I've heard people say, oh, well, who cares what we do? China's going to do this or India's going to do that. And it's like, bros, China and India signed up and they have a huge incentive to support renewable energies like they're already doing. China has subsidized solar panels hugely because those motherfuckers are going to get ass blasted by climate change. They have all the same problems we do, but they're way fucking poorer. Yeah, and so, you know, on one hand, I want to laud China's effort in getting more renewable energy off the ground, which they definitely have. They've opened up a lot more renewable energy. So they're definitely getting more power from that. At the same time, in the past couple of years, they've spun up way more of their coal energy plants because even as fast as they're putting in renewable energy, they have more people entering the middle class and wanting electricity. And so they've had to make that up by starting to burn more coal. So we start a trade war with China and keep their people permanently lower class. (laughs) (laughs) So So they just keep eating bamboos. I mean, the problem is that People who are living in conditions where their area is not electrified yet probably still burn coal. Right. Just in their furnaces, right? Cannot keep people poor. Right. (laughs) Bad solution. So, especially in India, we need more electrification. We need to get more people hooked up to the grid. And then we need to work really hard to get that grid on renewables. Right. Step one is put everyone on a grid. Step two, get that fucking solar. Get that fucking wind. Which, by the way, solar is an increasingly efficient technology, right? Because of advances in batteries, right? Yeah. uh, So batteries and then kind of on the way fuel cells is going to be a really interesting option. One of the potential technologies to help out with all of this. Because we can stop emissions. Like, let's say we do, right? Let's say in an awesome situation, we're no longer emitting any CO2. We still have all the CO2 that's in the atmosphere, We need to decrease that, and so we need to do that through different carbon capture systems. Okay. Okay. Um, So, right now, wait, just to be sure, we've got, we need to change our electricity, how we make it, to away from coal towards renewables. That's one thing. Second, we need to get carbon out of the air. How do we do that? Right, so to get that CO2 out of the air, and if we want to hit the 1.5 Celsius mark I was talking about, our best case scenario, we need to drop CO2 emissions 40% by 2030, and preferably be net zero emissions by 2050, mm-hmm. okay? But if we, if, you know, we can help that by pulling some of the carbon out of the air, and that's through these carbon capture and storage technologies. And so there's several different forms of it. I see one of these. A forestation. What is that? <laughs> yeah. A forestation oh, slash I hear reforestation. <laughs> okay. One, one of the simplest and oldest ways to do this is to fucking plant trees. And in a recent paper that I read, they basically kind of looked around. They took a survey of the world. And they found that... About a landmass the size of the U.S., but spread out all over the world, was not being currently used by agriculture or by urban areas or by forests. Just fucking land laying around. Right. 
And this land could basically be reforested. Plant some trees, baby. And if we did reforest that land, that would account for about two-thirds of human CO2 emissions. I want you motherfuckers to listen to that. You want to cure climate change? Plant trees, baby. On shit you don't even use. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> to, to be real about it, this is actually something people can do. Like, the, the, this legitimately, more so than some of the other solutions, like, oh, you know, trying to switch over to, like, more humane meat solutions or something like that. Fuck that. I kill my animals brutally. Or boycotting certain brands that maybe their industries are particularly high in emissions or something. I'm uncomfortable when I say something terrible and you, like, don't slap me down. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be derailed. You just fucking do such a good job of it all the time. You're just always running your mouth. Anyway. So, look. You can you can just go out and you can physically plant a tree. You can actually do that. There are volunteer organizations in a bunch of different cities. There's one here in L.A. Oh. to help reforest uh, the Angeles Forest uh, after you know the fires had gone through. So like people can go, they can do that on their weekend and actually plant some trees out there. That that legitimately makes a difference directly on the CO2 levels. A lot of people don't know this in America, but the whole nation of South Korea was heavily deforested after colonization and war. They had a day that was dedicated, you know, every year, basically like fucking forest day. And they would just plant a tree and it worked. Korea is a lot more forested now. You know, like this is something that really can happen. Yeah, so, so this is a legitimate thing that we can do. We can also, if we wanted to, try to restore some habitats. So we, we could put some work into restoring soil quality, planting, so, so not just planting trees, but also replanting the kinds of plants that historically were in the area to try to re-expand some of these habitats. And that can have a lot of benefits because uh, just putting a bunch of trees and forests out there, you get the benefit from just, you know, the, the actual CO2 that gets locked into the wood. But you're missing out on a lot of the biodiversity of other environments. Right. So we could kind of get a little bit of both. We could we could re-expand biodiversity, help try to make these ecosystems more robust so not as many things go extinct, and also carbon capture. Right. There's a lot of layered positive externalities here. I mean, Lord knows there's all sorts of like, <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid by comparison, but there's all sorts of fisheries, all sorts of local economies that would benefit if our estuaries were healthier. Right. Like, so these kinds of habitat restoration and expansion projects can help on the global warming side and just generally on the environmental ecological It's a good side. idea all around. Yeah. And then we have some technologies that are a little less frou-frou. I see bics and dacks. Yeah, yeah. So B-E-C-C-S, uh, bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, is uh, it's basically like you grow a field of plants or you grow a forest of trees and then you chop down those trees and burn them for power. Well, Oh, I thought we were, I thought we were done burning the trees. <laughs> so so here's the thing: in the simplest implementation of Bex, this bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, the idea is that that would be CO2 neutral. Okay. Okay. So the trees take in CO2. We take those trees and burn them and release the same amount of CO2, but we got power out of it. Damn. Okay. So that is an option. You can also do things like when you burn those trees. You capture all of the smoke from burning those trees, and you shove it deep underground. Cool. Okay? So th there's options for trying to be able to 
keep that CO2 from entering the atmosphere at large, right? And it doesn't have to be trees and burning like that. It can also be crops like corn, for example. And you can take corn and you can make ethanol out of it. And then you can burn the ethanol as fuel. And so all this stuff is different from DAX because it all involves some sort of biological component. Right. So, so BEX has that step, the bioenergy step. DAX is direct air, carbon capture and storage. And so that means just the CO2 that's out in the air, you kind of pass it through a filter and the filter tries to just manually collect the CO2 out of the air. That sounds hard. Yeah, so the there are some catalysts, some kinds of solvents and filters that can be used to help capture some of the CO2. It's kind of thought of not really as a competitor for Bex. Right, but it's complementary. Right, and supplementary to localized areas and mobile areas. So like maybe it can be a cartridge that gets attached onto cars or something like that. Oh, that's or, really cool. you know, something that can be, you know, locally placed on something that you think is temporarily going to be putting off CO2 emissions. That's super cool. Um, but, you know, kind of just broadly speaking, in both of these situations, there's kind of, what do we do with the CO2 once we get it, right? Because in DAX, you have a filter where you start collecting the CO2. In BEX, you know, maybe you, you burn up a tree and then now you have all the CO2 gas after burning it. And you don't really want it to go back up to the atmosphere. So right. th there's different options for what you can do. One of the options is just take that gas, compress it into liquid CO2 and inject it underground. Cool. And then just fucking hope that it doesn't come out. Dude, aliens in 20 billion years are going to find the Earth and be like, wow, there's a whole layer of CO2. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so basically, we can inject them deep, deep underground, hopefully under sites that we found that uh, have some kind of impenetrable capstone. Like Krakatoa. What? Or Yellowstone. I, I meant Yosemite. <laughs> God, God damn it. <laughs> like, like a fucking site with like a capstone or something. What are you saying? Like Krakatoa. <laughs> what? What's a capstone? <laughs> some kind of large-scale rock mineral deposit that's not porous or anything like that. Oh, it's and really a volcano solid has a stone. hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to put the CO2 way deep in the earth, not at a volcano. Right, and then there's some other ideas out there. For example, CO2 can be reacted with certain kinds of minerals yeah. and metal oxides to basically form a solid. Okay. And so maybe we can just take CO2 as a gas, mix it with this stuff, and then turn it into a solid and just like kind of toss it on the ground somewhere. Cool. Yeah, that doesn't sound so bad. Bocce balls. <laughs> and then sort of a linked idea to that is called pyrogenic capture and storage. And the way that that works, it, it's really similar to Bex in a certain way, except we take the trees and instead of just burning them up, we pyrolyze them. And what that means is we put them into something that heats them in a vacuum. So it's not like burning. There's no fire, no oxygen getting used. Right. And the tree turns into three different things. One is it turns into charcoal. And we can take the charcoal and we can actually mix that in with soil. And that should actually increase the nutrient level of soil. So we could make richer soil using the charcoal. Cool. And that charcoal is carbon dioxide fixed, solid carbon dioxide. That's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to hang out in the soil. Awesome. We'll also make an oil. That oil will be a liquid form of carbon dioxide that we can inject underground if we want. And then the last one is volatile gases. And we can burn those in a power plant and then capture that CO2 
and fucking inject it underground or something like that. So basically, you can go through this process to turn trees into like a super sexy bunch of stuff that could improve soil and be kind of locked down somewhere. Okay. I see another solution here. Something really well is called a colonization, which is <laughs> reminds me of League of Legends. A is a very good champ, mid lane. So what is what is artificial ocean a colonization? <laughs> it, it's actually alkalinization, okay, and that's alkaline, which is the opposite of acidic. Are the oceans acid? <laughs> yeah, dude. So that's one of the main things that atmospheric CO two gas actually does, a lot of it ends up getting absorbed into ocean water, and it makes the ocean water more acidic. And that's like fucking up all the coral and fucking up all the fishes and stuff. Right, so a lot of things that have skeletons made out of like calcium carbonate and stuff like that, those skeletons basically dissolve under acidic conditions. Dude, that's awesome. (laughs) So you see some things have exoskeletons dissolve, and also coral reefs, their sort of, you know, their, their skeleton sort of setup is similar to that. Okay, cool. So what do we do with alkalinization? (laughs) So we're making the ocean more basic, okay? And in doing that, that automatically would make it so that more CO2 is able to get dissolved in. Yeah, but bitch, what does that mean, dude? How you make an ocean basic? (laughs) Yes, that's a good question. (laughs) There are a few different ways to do it. We can take chemical bases, and just literally just toss them, sprinkle them on top of the ocean. That sounds kind of wacky. <laughs> yeah, and one of the potential options is that there is a kind of mineral called olivine. And mm. olivine is actually one of the most common minerals on Earth. I think I rub that on my face is an anti-aging <laughs> thing. <laughs> I think I bought some olivine from Gwyneth Paltrow recently. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of this stone. It's sort of green. Okay? And what we can do is we could grind that up into a powder and spread that over the ocean. Cool. And as it goes in, the carbonic acid that's dissolved in the ocean water will bind to it and turn into a solid and basically sink to the bottom of the ocean. So we, we would be de- decreasing the amount of acid that's dissolved in there, we would increase the pH to be more basic, and then more CO2 can dissolve in. And so basically we can use the oceans as these huge sinks for all of the CO2 that's up there. Okay, baby, now we got one last one, one last solution to climate change. This one is a doozy, though. Tell me about it, stud. Yeah, I like this one. SRM, Solar Radiation Management. And what's fun about this one is it's actually not included in any of the IPCC official international panel on climate change models. It's too dangerous. Yeah, they won't put it in because we don't know enough about how its effects would work. Solar radiation management is the idea that, hey, you know, we're, we're talking about all this stuff with global warming and greenhouse gases. What if we just made it so that less of the sun's light hit the earth? And how do we do that, baby? Right, so we would kind of take one out of the book from volcanoes, and we would put aerosols into the stratosphere. Nice. So probably silica particles, silicon oxide particles, and we would put them into the stratosphere, and that should reflect a lot of the sun's light back towards it. So basically, everything would be dimmer. Right. There's a movie about this called Snowpiercer, where they live in this utopia in the future, (laughs) where it worked. God, is that the plot of Snowbridge? It actually is, is that they did SRM, and it backfired. They made the world too cold, Yeah, and then they had to be on a train? I don't know. (laughs) It falls apart after that. So, yeah, one of of the reasons why this is, like, 
not our go-to solution to this, is we're not totally sure how much to put up there, how long it'll last, how much of the light it'll reflect black. Sure. And, you know. You put a bunch of aerosol in the sky, maybe you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as in, you know, life on Earth. Because <laughs> maybe, maybe it over yet, maybe it gets too cold. Yeah, but conceptually, you'd like shoot a rocket up there, have it explode the aerosols out, and then, you know, that's it. I tell you what, if I was the city of Miami, I would just do that and would not ask for permission because my city might be sinking. Right. So this one is the one that every island nation can have in its back pocket, basically. You're an island. You're not going to be above water much longer. Your people are like, do something. Maybe shoot a rocket up. See, I don't buy that premise because in Moana, you just build a raft and you go, and the sky and the shit and the hell, and you just sail. <laughs> you don't need an island. You don't need a rocket. You have the stars and the well, songs of your people. You, you sail up into the stratosphere and then you sprinkle the silica dust out there. I don't think Lin-Manuel Miranda would, would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in any case, these SRM techniques should probably cause pretty drastic changes in the temperature rapidly. Cool. Um, it wouldn't change anything about the greenhouse gas issue fundamentally. Right. But, I mean, you know, if it ever came to the day where we really thought we had to do this, it would probably buy us time. We'd probably just fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is why when I was talking about the four degree Celsius scenario and how bad it was and how in 300 years there might not be people anymore. To you, it's really unlikely we reach that point because we're going to just fucking shoot shit into the atmosphere if we get really desperate. Yeah. If things get bad enough someone's going to do it. And it might not be with everyone's agreement, but someone out there is going to do it. It would be way, way better if we could just fucking plant some trees and take care of it that way. But who knows? Somebody might rocket blast volcano style up into the stratosphere. We got to wrap up. But you guys need to remember that. Worst case scenario, we can always press the red button and shoot some rockets and just blast our way out of this one. Yeah, Team Rocket's blasting off again. Is that Team a thing? Rocket's blasting <laughs> up again. So, guys, uh, I think to wrap up, you know, climate change is this super large topic. It's a topic that we hope has been um, elucidated a little bit. And it's something that people should both take soberly and seriously with less humor than I do. Um, <laughs> but yet with the knowledge that it is solvable. And it's something that we can definitely overcome. Yeah, we, we can all do it. On an individual basis, we can do things to help, like plant a tree. We can also go out there and we can vote for people who are going to do something about it on a national scale. And so that we can get together internationally, because this really is something that's going to take a coordinated effort of nation states all over the world. We, you know, There's very serious changes that need to happen that really does require governmental and extra-governmental efforts. That's true. These institutions do exist. And they maybe they exist for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might have been sucking ass for a little bit for a while, but we can turn it around. I think that that's really something that we can do. I'm actually very pro-government, so I do not approve of that, sir. <laughs> My government has never sucked ass. Oh, God. Or I wish it did more. You sassy broad. Escargot. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> do you like snails or oysters? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> My government likes snails. So, I hope you enjoyed it. Part one, we tried to talk about what is climate change, and we're doing it. Part two, we talked about different scenarios for how messed up it's going to be and our path forward, maybe our way out of it. And uh, yeah, everybody, thanks for listening. Sign up for our Patreon. If you sign up, you'll get some shit. I couldn't make up something in time, but we're going to figure it out. Redo. <laughs> sign up for Patreon, guys, uh, at hashtag fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and guys. And guys, sign up for our Patreon at Patreon dash Petri Dish. Stop laughing. Oh my god. Patreon.com slash Petri Dish. One of the things that we are thinking about offering to uh, our patrons is, for example, some of our commercials, some of our ads, just putting them together so you can really get a feel for the story of like Donatella Iglesias and the things going on in his life. We got to thank Stacy Song, Oops. producer extraordinaire, sound lord, engineer, Brian Allen for the logo and artwork, and to you guys, our audience, ich benign science, each and every day. Yeah, plant a tree out there, dudes. Plant a fucking tree. More importantly, though, you know, think about collective action because, you know, really, that, that again, that's what institutions exist for. Yeah, plant a tree and vote. See you later. Thank you.